I was ill, very ill, all over the floor in the bathroom. I must have got up from the floor, got onto the bed. And my husband was trying to get hold of me because everybody could get hold of me during the day because I was self-employed. And he couldn't, he couldn't. He, he rang a friend of ours and he came down to see where I was, what had happened to me. And he found me half dead on the bed. They rang Andrew, my husband, and they said, you better hurry along because we think your wife is going to die. She has had some kind of brain hemorrhage. And this was now over eight hours, I think. Every single day, something happens that either does your head in or you're fine. Usually I'm pretty cheerful now, which is almost getting back to myself. You would never look at me and think I had a stroke. And this is one of the terrifying things about having a stroke. People don't understand what it is. They think the person is a complete idiot because you can't talk. So therefore, I'll speak for you. It's upsetting because your life is different. Hello, this is Stroke Stories. I'm Mark Goodyear. Aphasia is a condition that's caused when parts of the brain that deal with understanding and producing speech are damaged. This can be caused as a result of a stroke, severe injury, a tumour or even progressive neurological conditions. The Stroke Association estimates that there are about 350,000 people in the UK living with aphasia and the impact on a person's life can be considerable. It can stop them from doing basic tasks and often affects their relationships with the people closest to them. We started Stroke Stories, the podcast, to seek out and to hear from stroke survivors. In this episode, we speak to Sandy Robinson-Jones from Exmouth in the UK, who suffered a stroke at the age of 52. It was about 10 years ago I had ovarian cancer. And that was that time everybody knew that you were going to die of that too. And I stopped looking at everything on the internet because everything was saying you're going to die. So we didn't do that. We went to the hospital and we dealt with the doctors and the nurses and the amazing people that deal with cancer was great. So I had everything removed by an amazing doctor and amazing nurses. So that went fine. So the next couple of years I was cycling around lots of other women with WVC women's versus cancer we were getting money for the hospitals i had to come back from my job because i worked in portugal and italy and things like that doing design i started out in candy here doing tiles and being a little uh, designer person there but the company went under and i ended up being asked to work in portugal with sinca so working there for 10 years two weeks there two weeks here all the time then I had to leave that job and I had to stay here. It took me two years of working as a cleaning lady <laughs> in Fingal Glen. It was brilliant. And in between, on six o'clock on a Wednesday morning, we'd go and get together with lots of other people who are working, like people who build and people who do design. But we all say, here's my card. Got loads of work. And it was just getting well, really well. I was working with... Bright Sea down in Exeter, fantastic people. Um, and I used to get up at 7 o'clock in the morning and work until 12 o'clock at night because I love my job so much. And then this Monday, obviously, I don't remember it at all. I dealt with a chap who was fixing our kitchen downstairs in the house. The house was 350 years old, so everything needed fixing. And he fixed it, and apparently 
according to them telling me afterwards. He said, bye-bye, and I was upstairs, and I went, okay, bye, and he went, left the back door open because we didn't have a front door, and after that, apparently I was ill, very ill, all over the floor in the bathroom. I must have got up from the floor, got onto the bed, and my husband was trying to get hold of me because everybody could get hold of me during the day because I was self-employed. And he couldn't, he couldn't. He, he rang a friend of ours and he came down to see where I was, what had happened to me. And he found me half dead on the bed. He phoned the hospital. They took me down to our hospital in Exeter, where I was used to going anyway. And basically they rang Andrew, my husband, and they said, you better hurry along because we think your wife is going to die. She has had some kind of brain hemorrhage. And this was now over eight hours, I think. And eventually somebody at the hospital said that we can send her down to Derriford because at Derriford, that's where the special people that do brain hemorrhages come and do it, hopefully. Sandy's life was in the balance. She needed urgent surgery. I was in a coma after that because he had to take off the left-hand side of my head at the top. There was a big piece of my head removed. In my head, there was so much blood, he had to clip it and you never have it removed because it has to stay in there to keep your head from keeping on bleeding. Whilst I was in the coma, I had a stroke. Now that was fun because having all the crap that goes on in your head, then you have a right-hand side. Well, on me, it was the right-hand side, all the way down, hands, legs, everything. Uh, my eye couldn't see through my eye for a while. It did come back. I couldn't talk because of the stroke, but it takes too long to get better. When I had cancer, you know, okay, if I do this, this, and this, I'll feel better. I went on cycling, and I'd never cycled in my life, and I started cycling. I cycled around Kenya and Cuba for money for women's cancers. After I had this crap with my head, I didn't know what to do. If somebody said to you, what do you want for lunch? And you're in the hospital, so you go, oh, could I have a cheese sandwich, please? If it doesn't come out like that, it comes out with your arms waving in the air. And they look at you and they think to themselves, oh, Jesus, she can't talk. Um, here, have this bacon sandwich. Because <laughs> they can't understand what you're saying and they don't have time to sit there and say, okay, what do you really want so you can wait? Because they can't. With cancer stuff, you're not alone ever. You've got lots of people to talk to because you can talk. Sandy took every opportunity she had to seek help and support. In the first two years, I started going down to see Headway and I couldn't really speak much but I went there and I went out of the house every week on my bicycle for God's sake and I went down to see everybody and I couldn't cope with it at all. I went out of the house, couldn't talk to anyone, stayed there for a bit and then I couldn't understand what was going on so I went home and I refused to go anymore. But one of the nurses that I knew, she came to see me at the house to see if she could help me. And she took me across to Lidl's of all the places. And she'd say, like, she'd pick up a, a bottle and she'd say, what's this, Sandy? And I'd be like, I don't know. And then she'd pick up a cup and say, what's this, Sandy? And I'd think, oh, I know what that is, but I can't say it. I don't know what it is. So I would get so angry. I can't even tell you. I think what happens now, I understand now, but... You no longer have that center thing in your brain that says, okay, just calm down and say, it looks like a cup. 
all you do is, I don't know what it is, so I hate this and I want to kill everyone, or this is great, it's a cub. Anyway, after that, I met Barbara. She was running, I think when I first met her, I went out to see her with my nice nursy type person, and I met her with about seven chaps. They were all sitting around, and Barbara was giving them cups of tea and coffee and giving them things to do and to read and blah, blah. I started going there all the time, and I started to understand, and I started speaking better, and it started to go reasonably quickly that I could say more words, and I could sort of remember people when I saw them instead of hoping I'll see somebody that I would know. I never remembered anybody's names for ages. Five years later now, now I'm starting to remember people's names, which is amazing. (laughs) And I've got millions of ways of doing everything now, and my husband's dealt with all of this after all the cancer now all the brain hemorrhage and the stroke (laughs) he needs a medal seriously (laughs) as a result of her brain injuries sandy suffered from aphasia you would never look at me and think i had a stroke and this is one of the terrifying things about having a stroke people don't understand what it is they think the person is a complete idiot because you can't talk so therefore i'll speak for you it's upsetting because your life is different completely different even with me i can speak a lot better i'm sure i meet people now they don't think anything's wrong with me apart from the fact that my eyes are all knackered and half my head is removed but i can say hi how are you oh that's great look at my god all that crap that people want to hear they don't want to hear people say please wait i can't speak quickly please wait because i don't understand straight away what you said you know somebody say that's amazing pair of shoes you've got there and you think what did they say did they and you think at your shoes and you think oh what did they mean did they mean i had nice shoes or did they like my feet and you have to ask please what did you say say it again say the same thing again and then you think oh yeah i get it yeah thanks my shoes are great it's hard it's very hard Sandy had to go through life-saving surgery and was left facing a lengthy recovery. She remained strong in the face of considerable adversity and continues to make great progress. Still to come on Stroke Stories, Sandy tells us how she keeps herself occupied. It's very, very amazing to be busy because I was too afraid at first. That's, I think, people will find that they are, you're afraid, you're too scared to go out because you think people won't like you. I'm still like that, I'm terrible, but I force myself and if people ask me to do something, I'm so happy because, yes, it's nice to be doing something. And she gives thanks to the people who've helped her. Your amazing people that look after you, those are the ones that are the best. The second is the people at the hospital. They're amazing as well. And then you get people like Barbara who pops out of the sky (laughs) and say, just sit there and have a cup of coffee, here's a piece of cake. Let's hear how Sandy got involved with the charity Living with Aphasia. The reason the charity was started was I kept nagging at Barbara because Barbara was so amazing for me. I came out to where she was with her friends because she was amazing to me. I'm not the best person, absolutely not. I I get angry, not as bad as I was, but I, I get cross about things that are ridiculous but she doesn't step towards you and get angry with you she'll say look let's do it this way let's do it that way she makes a plan so I kept saying to her look 
let's do a charity. And she was like, oh, I don't know, I don't know. But eventually decided mm, she'll do the charity. So she did. And she set up the charity with me, her, and there's four other people. It's gotten bigger and bigger because people have suddenly realized that aphasia actually is just something that happens to people. You don't just actually have to have a stroke to have aphasia. There's other things that start aphasia. Aphasia sucks and nobody knows what aphasia means. Barbara and this charity is trying to get that out to everyone to show everybody, look, aphasia takes a lot for the people who can't talk very well or can't talk at all. And it also takes things for the people who are living with them and staying with them to try and understand how to help. We can also do things with magic carpet. Magic carpet help us with the art up in Phoenix, which is great. We do that on a Thursday morning. And we do singing, which is amazing. And that started out, honestly, that started out with about, I don't know, 15 people, maybe even 10 people. Now there's at least 30 of them. I'm sure it is. <laughs> I don't go to sing anymore because I can't sing anyway, but they are so cool. It's brilliant. So we do all those different things and all to do with having aphasia. And it's really cool. It's amazing. Thanks to her loved ones and the Living with Aphasia support group, Sandy found her voice again. But she still finds her day-to-day life affected by the stroke. Every single day, something happens that either does your head in or you're fine. Usually, I'm pretty cheerful now, which is almost getting back to myself. But there's certain things that I cannot do at all. And I will not get my head around that, which is a big problem because I think I can do this, this and this. And I try and do it and I get so angry that I can't do it. But I still try. I wanted to do art, but I was too scared to start again. I did five years of proper art training before I left school. And I did design all my life, painting, and I did catalogues and God knows what for uh, people in Portugal and Italy. But now I can't do that because I start to do something. And instead of taking half an hour to just zoom through, it would take me half an hour to think, what am I going to do? Then I go away because I can't remember how to open the thing in my computer, all sorts of stupid things. But the main thing to me is to decide I am going to do it. If you want to do something, you just have to try. You just have to try. That's all there is to it. There's nothing else. You can't sit back and say, oh, but if I ask such and such to do it for me, they might do it for you. But if you don't try yourself, you could sit there for the rest of the day. And if you can only walk two feet, you can still do something. She also tries to keep as busy as possible. I've always done T-shirts. I can still do that. If people say to me, I want a T-shirt, I'll go, yay. And I did a little while ago, which was amazing, because I did some T-shirts for some youngsters. They were eight or nine, the girls. And they would do this thing where they went and run like maniacs. And they needed shirts, and I did it. And when I saw them with their T-shirts, it was so exciting. It's very, very amazing to be busy because I was too afraid at first. That's, I think, people will find that they are, you're afraid, you're too scared to go out because you think people won't like you. I'm still like that, I'm terrible, but I forced myself. And if people ask me to do something, I'm so happy. 
because yes, it's nice to be doing something. If you stay in your house and you don't go out, you won't meet anyone. And there's something very important about knowing some people that will say, how were you on the weekend? And you go, great. I was digging my garden. And we're like, wow. You know, just little things that make you so excited because other people say, ooh, that's great. Sandy says you need to find your champion. The one thing that's very important with aphasia, you have to get the people that love you and help you. When you have aphasia, you need somebody desperately to look after you because your life is so difficult for a bit. Your amazing people that look after you, those are the ones that are the best. The second is the people at the hospital. They're amazing as well. And then you get people like Barbara who pops out of the sky and say, just sit there and have a cup of coffee. Here's a piece of cake. And it's just amazing. Little teeny things make amazing things for you. It's like they're the people that help you do that next day. Despite Sandy's health difficulties over the last decade, she continues to stay busy, help out at her local aphasia support group and designing whenever she can. Coming up in the next episode of Stroke Stories. I was at a friend's house and everything seemed fine and then I got a headache, a really bad headache um, and then my left arm started to tingle and because of the adverts I'd seen on television, the fast adverts, I thought I know what this is, it's a stroke and I actually said I think I'm having a stroke, you better get an ambulance. Please subscribe to our podcast on your preferred podcast provider. And when you hear an episode that you like, please rate and comment, so that'll help us spread the word. The Stroke Association website also has plenty of resource if you'd like to find out more about stroke. The Stroke Stories podcast was produced by Aidan Judd. I'm Mark Goodyear. Thank you for listening.